Hi, I'm Mari Forth. And I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed by going to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays. We also drop on the main feed on Wednesdays. And there's another great reason to subscribe. We drop bonus content into the crime feed only. Our current bonus series is Inside Job, bringing you conversations with people who know crime, the law, and justice from the inside. Uh, So, Mari, what are we talking about today? So let's open today's file. We promised you I Just Killed My Dad. So we are bringing you I Just Killed My Dad, the three-part Netflix docuseries directed by Sky Boardman, who also directed Abducted in Plain Sight and The Girl in the Picture, which we covered in episode 18. And to discuss this, we have a great guest. A knitting enthusiast, a bookstore <laughs> owner, who last joined us to explore the, um, let's say, uh, highly racist. Highly <laughs> racist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, was it the, you know, kind of dubious, no, the painter and the thief. It's uh, Sarah D. Bunting, uh, SDB. Hello, how are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me back, despite the controversial pick <laughs> that I brought in last time. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you guys about I Just Killed My Dad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's polarizing. Polarizing is the word I was looking for. It was a, a yes. very polarizing piece the last time, but still appreciated it. And we appreciate having you here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So um, before we get into it, just want to follow up friend of the pod, Brooklyn Zed, who was featured on our episode 17, Web of Make Believe, reached out to us with a kind of follow up to their appearance. They shared an article with us about uh, how a popular trans Twitch streamer uh, called Keffels has been targeted in a swatting attack. So um, very close to what we talked about in the Web of Make Believe series. I thought it was very important to kind of bring this up just to like let our listeners know like stuff like this is still happening. And the article, uh, we'll, we'll include the article in our show notes. It was a very good article. I read it. It really talks about, the, it gets the victim side of how swatting is just so traumatizing, like just in, in ways you don't even think about. So I thought it was very important to bring it to the podcast, share it with our listeners. And thank you, Zed, so much for sharing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. So SDB, since we have heard your true crime origin story before, so uh, what's new in, cri- in true crime? Well, what's new in true crime? Actually, I just <laughs> killed my dad is new in true crime. Uh, yes. We at uh, bestevidence.fyi, that's me and my co-publisher, Eve Beatty. Uh, we try every weekday to bring you the true crime that's worth your time, uh, whether it's podcasts, whether it's articles, whether it's limited series. I did review I Just Killed My Dad a few days ago, and uh, I will provide a link. In the mm-hmm. show notes, uh, I also reviewed Helter Skelter the same day. Yes, I'll, you I did. Can talk a little <laughs> bit about that later if you want. But uh, yeah, I'm sort of looking at the entire range of available true crime and trying. I mean, it's just a fire hose of content across half a century at this point, <laughs> and we're just trying 
to, you know, not have people drown. So bestevidence.fyi, it's free most days. And we'd love to have you join us in the comments and let us know what you're reading and listening to and watching. That's amazing. Love that. Go check out Best Evidence. Um, So let's get into the crime. On June 3rd, 2019, 17-year-old Anthony Tomplay shot his father, Bert Tomplay, who died of his injuries three days later. The docuseries uncovers the story of Anthony and Bert, which was one of control and abuse. Anthony's mother, Teresa, had legal custody of Anthony, having left Bert because of his abuse of her. But Bert somehow also got legal custody and employed the police to take Anthony away at five years old. He then kept Anthony out of school and away from any community. Bert's second wife, Susan, left him. And again, uh, because of the abuse she suffered at his hands, uh, Bert's alcoholism and violence increased to the point that Anthony says he killed him in self-defense. Anthony was initially charged with manslaughter, which was upgraded by a grand jury indictment to second degree murder. Um, this, the difference between this is specific intent to kill. In March, Anthony's attorney and the DA struck a deal and he would plead to negligible homicide and serve only probation. So kind of a what the documentary wants to present to you. It's a cut and dry crime in a sense, because we know, you know, he killed his dad, but we're presented with a lot more evidence. And I think we'll talk about that. But. Uh, SDB, what are your overall thoughts and feelings of just um, maybe the presentation real quickly uh, before we jump into specifics? Well, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to avoid specifics, but, you know, and I said this in my review, like it it opens with a lot of sort of expected uh, visual and structural tropes. You've got that, you mm-hmm. know, empty chair in a room that that sort of out of focus talking head interviewee comes and sits mm-hmm. down and then there's some fidgeting. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the 911 call there's yeah. uh, that has the title in it. Um, there's the sort of teaser montage up top of stuff you're going to see later on. Mm-hmm. There's the reenactment that we don't need that looks mm-hmm. cheap. You know, this is a three episode series that total, like each episode is around 40, 45 minutes long. Mm -hmm. There is some fat to be cut away. So this, I feel like would have been a very different prospect if it were a feature instead of a (laughs) limited series. And I think that both this property and the direct some of the director's other recent properties have not suffered exactly because this was not poor and I don't think it's bad I don't mm-hmm. not recommend it but I th- I think that she has more to show us in a different format that is not sort of this Netflix you know Netflix green is people like very you know professional predictable product TM. So yeah, that's my frustration with it overall, especially given uh-huh. her focus more generally on topics like, you know, domestic related kidnappings and, and intimate partner uh, disappearances and things like that, that I, I just feel like this cliched approach is not serving anyone. 
mm-hmm. as well yeah. as could. But with that said, again, this is not bad. The funny thing is, I feel like if we had merch, it would be like this should have been a documentary. Like this is yeah. <laughs> like oh our our calling card. Same. I feel like I'm I'm constantly asking, did this need to be a docu series? <laughs> yeah. Do we really need three episodes? And then I we am... get a documentary, and you say, couldn't this have been an episode of something? Like <laughs> couldn't this have been an email? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't this have been a pamphlet? Yeah, <laughs> I think that about true crime books sometimes. And I'm like 520 pages. Yeah, y'all, come on. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, uh, I, I almost laughed. I mean, this is look. So, someone died, and we are going to talk about generational abuse and mm-hmm. failures of the system within this documentary. But I almost laughed when immediately we had the triumvirate that Mary and I detest: the mm-hmm. 911 call, mm-hmm. the crime scene photographs, mm-hmm. without warning. And the reenactments. I thought these are the three things that we really, you can use any of them judiciously. And we have covered properties that have used them to really great effect. And we mark that when that happens. I do not think the effect is good here. I know why you're playing me the 911 call because he says I just killed my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that I'm being set up. I. Mm-hmm. I had such a struggle with this, and I'm so looking forward to talking about it to find out what my I want to find my what my struggle is because it's really well made. Like it looks good. Yes. If you half focused mm-hmm. your eyes, set back, and sort of turned your brain off, you would end up saying that was a really good product because it looks good and it's shiny. And I I, I just thought, why am I watching this? It's well mm-hmm. made. I don't, like Sarah, I don't not recommend it, but I didn't know why I was watching it. And at the end, I still felt, you know, the same, the same way. And you yeah. can't help but think about Girl in the Picture where the failures of the system were highlighted, where I felt there was more there, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this mm. one, and I shouldn't beat a director with a stick because they go back to the same well because people have their tropes and right. and domestic sure. violence and child kidnapping should be talked about. But why why would you make this when you'd made that, I suppose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I completely agree. We get the 911 call twice basically up top. We get in the kind of like the montage and then directly opening the documentary, which was like, mm, okay. The whole first episode literally is an episode of take your pick Uh, you know if he if he was a woman it would have been snapped it would have been southern fried homicides like that whole first episode truly felt like every cliche in the book when it comes to true crime docu-series and i didn't know anything about this case going into it and i didn't realize it was the same director until before for my second viewing and I was like okay now this makes sense like to me but I felt like I was being led in that first one even though I didn't know where we were going I felt like I was being led and then by the time I got to the end I was like oh wow I uh, I don't like that style when it comes to documentary. I want, I want, I, we talked about this in the girl in the picture. I want to feel like when the people are talking to me, they're giving me like their truths and not a narrative. And it feels like this was very uh, narrative. So maybe can we get into one of my problems? Like maybe this might, uh, Sarah may connect to this. Maybe this is what DB was talking about. 
my one of my problems was the the talking heads. We had we had some great talking heads. We pulled the uh, people directly uh, with the case. We had Anthony, Anthony Tom play himself. You know, was 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 uh, talking to us. We had his stepmother Susan, his stepbrother Peyton. Again, we had all these really good major players. My problem with them, we got very misleading quotes in the first, like in the first. Uh, episode in order for us to feel like these people are demonizing Anthony so by the time that we get to that second episode and that third episode where like we we told you up top with the crime he ends up uh, basically getting probation for uh, killing his father once his his father's uh, abuse is uncovered like that weird switch in that second episode where his stepmother went from being like we were told she was afraid for her life around Anthony to in the second episode, like she's crying and can't wait to see him once he got out. I really was like, what did I miss? Like I was, I was so confused. And then we get the the one DA I'm trying to find Dana Cummings, the, the ADA through the whole first two episodes, two and a half episodes. Yeah. She is really like, I'm like, oh, this lady does not like Anthony. She's talking about, yeah, he did this, but I, you know, she she felt very hardline. It felt like she really wanted Anthony in jail. But by the third episode, she was like, it was like, oh, all of these circumstances made him who he was. So, you know, we were okay with letting him walk away. Like I was, I was really, really confused and frustrated in this because if you're not paying attention, like sometimes how I'm, um, you know, <laughs> that's why I watched it twice. <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> if you're Look, not there's a lot atten- of true crime. It it happens. <laughs> right. It happens. It's, it's just like it's it's very confusing. And I did not like this. Am I making sense here, SDB? Like it felt like you're 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 trying to create a narrative using the people you're talking to and this was the same problem i i had with girl in the picture i wasn't confused so much as like a little bit put off by you know again you have this like montage stack up front that's trying to get people sucked into the whole series so it's like here's mm-hmm. what you're going to see coming up but what they're also doing is this is the bait because you think this is an episode of Killer Kids and it's yes. actually an episode of whatever, like uh, Deadbeat Dads or whatever you want to say. <laughs> but they're they're setting the trap for you with all of these like sort of out of context or not complete quotes in the opening mm-hmm. montage stack. And like I live in the world, I review this days for a living and I understand everybody has their job to do. And in Borgman's case, like she is very good at meeting the brief of a Netflix limited series, which is to get butts in the seats and keep them there episode over episode so that they just let the episode click over. Like I understand that there are certain build and SEO requirements. Everyone has their jobs to do. I get it. but. I agree that that's a bait and switch that is going to be off-putting to some, confusing to others, and both Uh to some people. And then the the fact is that, like, there are so many other better things to focus on in this story besides it, you know, it looked like A, but it was actually B. Like, Uh the real... The real meat of the nut is 
in the third episode where you're looking at these like generational cycles of abuse. You're looking uh-huh. at the prospects of Anthony, who was basically like raised. He was like a boy in a bubble, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this unsort of unspoken thing that's happening in the last episode between him and his mom and his Nana, where it's like, well, we may not see you again. Like what? But he's, but he's out. So yeah. is this uh-huh. a condition of his probation? Is this a condition of someone else's probation? What exactly is going on with the implied struggles with substance misuse disorder in this family overall, not just Bert and booze, but uh-huh. I mean, this family, both sides of the family and Susan's family seem like they have struggled with things that come in powders and I am absolutely not judging anyone, but I think that there are so many better ways into this story. So many more compelling ways to build it. And you don't, when you sell a property to Netflix, I think you do actually quote, have to set it up and deliver it in a certain order with certain like, well, you know, and here's the turn in episode two. And here's right. where it's a, you know, a talking head interviewee says something at ah, credits. And it's like, click, click. I want, you know, like hitting the bar. I want the next episode. Mm-hmm. And with, with the understanding that this is not Sky Borgman's quote fault and that she is very good at delivering this in Netflix ready format. Mm-hmm. I want better from her and for this topic area that she focuses on because I think this is a serious fucking problem in her society that she gets excellent access to people Mm. in these cases and is a good interviewer and is trusted by people in the case and then you have this like but you have these like sort of garbage time formatting issues that are obscuring the core of the story Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, mean, I just said a novel. No, but, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's that it's that thing of episode one. He's a soulless psychopathic yes. killer. Yeah. Oh no! All these other things that we have to say really quickly because now there's lots of things, but we don't have enough time. Let's get an entire <laughs> an entire forty minutes on that. I mean, to your point, Mari, the ADA uh, Dana Cummings. Why doesn't she get to say this is what I thought when I met him? I know right. why. Look, I'm not, you know, like all of yeah. us, I watch this stuff. But if you are to deal with that moment where his grandmother is stroking a photograph of her parents and talking about the abuse of her mother by her father, mm-hmm. and you feel, oh, what's that? What's that? And it you, it feels like, Sky, I mean, Sky Borgman does want to talk about this stuff because she makes stuff about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But in it, it just doesn't. Where's what's the, it feels like the container is wrong. Mm, uh, yeah. we, we do get the wonderful uh, Marsha Coulter, who's the CEO of Aid to Victims of Domestic Abuse, and I felt very happy when I saw her, and I wanted to spend time with her. But she felt very much like uh, a, a little pocket over there, and she would say things, and we'd go, mm-hmm. "Now let's get back to." these other things. I wanted her more integrated, I think. I don't know. Am I, do I want to remake the documentary? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, not me personally, but, you know, is it, a, is, 
yeah, I, I was very frustrated with it because I like this director very much. And part of my frustration was also like how good it looks, like the production values are very high. I kind of I kind of really want to like really talk about some of the quotes that I was really like, I don't feel like this was necessary in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to like the all from the first episode, right? Because because it's it's that turn, right? So the first episode, we get Peyton, Anthony's stepbrother, saying something to the effect of like, Bert in his own strange way loved his son. However, Anthony despised Bert. Yeah, like, I wrote that down. I was really like, okay, okay. So in this first episode, you're pulling me in, you know? I mean, I, I really didn't understand the purpose of Susan's brother, Michael's, like a few of his quotes. Um, one of them being, Susan tell me that she was scared of Anthony. She didn't know if he would shoot her, if he'd kill her, if he'd hurt her. She was afraid of him. And this is like, it's just so weird once you get to episode three when all of them are in a united front against Bert. Like, yeah, kind of like with Anthony. Like, it just, I, I'm, I'm really confused here. And then my final one was Susan. Well, not Susan. She did uh, say that Anthony d- doesn't display emotion really but the one here with the da uh sarah kind of touched on it i don't know if he has empathy when i watched the interview for the first time it was like oh my gosh there there there's not a tear shed for his father so and i'm wondering if and i and i don't i don't know if this is a very bad thing to imply but it it kind of felt like some of these quotes were taken out of context and presented out of context. And I, I, I feel bad saying that because I think that's one of the like worst kind of things you can do as a, a documentary filmmaker in my esteem. But it, it, it really felt like that. Am, am I out of line from, for saying this, Sarah? I dislike it. Unless you use it in a very creative way that you then return to the quote that you give the quote but then return to it in context so that we go ah yes I see but it's never returned to it's never referred to just suddenly everybody thinks not suddenly I mean we do have the revelation of the information but if the people think things later differently tell me what happened not just the revelation of information but what was the thought process that led you from sociopathic, uncrying, uh, irredeemable killer to he presents no danger to society and I hope that he has a really good life. I mean, two of the very interesting players in this we don't see enough of, in my opinion, are Michael Sr. and Michael Jr., uh, Susan, AJ's uh, stepmother, Susan's brother and nephew who are an entire documentary in themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not least where Michael Jr. is shot. He's at some like plastic picnic table outside where um, he is probably banished to uh, dip tobacco so he doesn't do it in the house. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I mean, like these these people have flavor. They have a certain mm-hmm. like um they have a, a certain Louisiana flavor to them that I agree they deserve the 
whole documentary to themselves. But they also, I think, I mean, Michael Sr. just talking about how his sister was scared of Anthony and he looks like he was a cut out of winter's bone. Um, <laughs> like he looks like a dangerous guy, like, um, a villain, <laughs> you know, the unmade season eight of justified or whatever. Like, and, but then there's like little fluffy dogs just passed out in his lap. <laughs> I love that this is a thing in true crime documentaries of late. Also like you're, Maybe they're emotional support shih tzus. Maybe they're just there, but like the pets are in the project. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm with it. My dog shows up on my podcast all the time. God help us all. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think there's like malign intent, but I still uh-huh. think it's misleading. And I think that it's a container problem. Like, Sarah yeah. Carradine said that it's just mm-hmm. like if there weren't certain prerequisites for a Netflix property, I think maybe Sky Borgman would feel a little freer to put things in a different order or just sort of move herself figuratively a few degrees in one direction or another or like like it's a family history of this family and then you start with nana talking about her parents and like that this was a frightening traumatic household but that's still the family photos that she displays there were just other ways to do this that are a little less i I don't know like ginned up and in reels channel-y that I just I want better for everyone involved. I want better for the subjects of the story. I want better for Sky Borgman. And I feel like Netflix, maybe if you're bleeding subscribers, maybe it's because your shit is too predictable and not trustworthy from a narrative standpoint. Hmm. Now that now that you kind of mention it, I'm I think I, I get that because I want to go back and watch Abducted in Plain Sight again because I watched it when it first came out like three years ago and I thought it was amazing Um, in a sense of like, you really didn't know where that was going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It felt like every two seconds you're just getting smacked upside the head with a different... Yeah, you're having to hit pause and like write in all caps in your notes, like totally. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I kind of want to go back and watch it with a critical eye because I wonder if that was was done so well to me just from what I remember. I wonder if it's kind of like chasing that. Like it was a girl in the picture chasing that when when it it played around with the the timeline and the storyline is this kind of chasing that with the twist. But then now SDB, when you say that this might be a Netflix thing, I'm really starting to, it's kind of opening my eyes because it makes me think of, uh, I don't know if you guys watch uh, house of secrets, the Barari family murders. It was about the murders of an Indian family. Uh, 11 of them died and it, it was first thought to be suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but come to find out it was kind of like, almost like a cult slash murder, like the the older son kind of just murdered everybody. And right. now that I'm thinking about it, 
it's kind of presented in the same way as, as this is. That first, that whole first episode, it's like, oh my gosh, this whole family, they did this to themselves. You know, what could have made this happen? What could have done it? Like, this is so interesting. We don't know what happened to them. And then it switches. I like one of the last episodes and it's like, nope, the older brother was kind of just a, you know, a dick and he killed his whole family because he lost it because he couldn't, he couldn't fulfill his dad's shoes. So now I'm kind of like, you've given me a lot to think about and I truly appreciate that and it really does make me think about the constraints uh, put on um, content creators when they sign these deals with these streamers yeah, yeah, I mean, I think these constraints you can also see, I mean, I, I am a fan of this director, so any critiquing that I'm doing, Sky, if you're listening, we recently yeah. did have did have a director listen to our breakdown yeah. of their documentary and it was a bit of a <laughs> shock. So, yeah, um, I actually did uh, do an interview with her a few years ago, and that is at bestevidence.fyi if you look oh, in the excellent. archives. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, nice. like she, yeah. I also feel- want to... Um, I also want to go back and watch that. Um, and she had another one for Hulu, Dead Asleep, which I think was yes. just a feature. And that got, yes. ha- actually, that was like, oh, okay, this is the correct container. And then that one got hammered by other critics. I didn't necessarily see yeah. the see the problems uh, with it. I, but. I liked it. I think the one of the problems was uh, sort of extraneous to the work where the, the family, family were unhappy with it. And well, then so... Yeah. And commentators picked up on that and critiqued that rather enough. than the, the the thing itself. I like fair that enough, it and it's a it. yeah, very outre like sort of subject. That's like you know, it, she didn't get the access in that case, and I think the the work may have suffered. But yeah. I mean, this I think this is just a format problem, and I think streamers want content, and they want to be able to chunk it out in series form and some like some stories just kind of tell you what like how they're supposed to be but if the only person who wants to buy it is hulu or netflix or peacock or whatever mm-hmm. and they're like we're only doing serial nonfiction, so your you know your 95 minute feature is not of interest can you recut it at 130 minutes and chop it up and rearrange stuff so that people just let it roll over when they're you know they've had an edible like i'm not i'm not judging anybody for taking money for this like it's this or wait for pbs to give you a pittance for the same thing and put it on independent Mm. lens at 130 in the morning Mm, exactly but yeah it can be, especially for people like us who contemplate this kind of thing for a living and often are sort of sitting there after we watch this, like, I feel a little queasy and I'm not sure why. And it's not necessarily the topic. Yeah, yeah. This I mean, is... there's, there's, there's stuff in there that I think she, you know, this, is, this is me now projecting onto her. I think <laughs> that she would have liked to, well, I would have liked her to, let's put it much more frankly, to right. investigate the fact that Anthony's mother, Teresa, had custody of Anthony and then Bert somehow also had custody and, you know, this is why we said in the in the beginning, he employed the police to go and get this child. Yeah, he played and one that, state off another. 
and they yes. didn't really dwell on that. Yeah. Yes, we just get Teresa saying, and at that point I had spent so much money and sort of more to the point. She doesn't say more to the point, but it is in fact more to the point. She was exhausted and beaten down and this man had done the thing that she feared he would do. She still fears, feels him watching her. This is this feels like Sky Borgman territory. These are the stories that I really trust her to tell me. People talk to her. They give her this incredible material about their own lives. She lets them speak and she lets them shine. And it's such a small part, really, of this documentary as presented. I mean, I think we're now, you know, going round and round on the same story. It's all Netflix's fault. Netflix, we love you and we hate you. I mean, on the other hand, Netflix is creating a space for these stories and I don't necessarily want to be like, you know, justice for the 110-minute feature if that means that we're not going to see these stories. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all agree that like, you know, you have a trauma expert, a forensic psychiatrist who did interview Anthony and mm-hmm. explains that his lack of affect is completely appropriate for someone who has been around someone his own age for like 12 minutes, non-consecutive mm-hmm. in his life. But then they don't tie it back. Like you were mentioning before. Um, that and the sort of, I mean, let's, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into like Anthony. Let's, let's, let's move to Anthony, um, Tom play here before we move to Bert. So Anthony's portrayal in this documentary, you know, being that it is him and about his, you know, what he did. I thought it was very interesting because again, in that first episode, we're getting everybody talking about how afraid they were, how cold hearted he is. We're getting the the police interview um, footage, which, you know, nobody ever looks good in the police interview footage, Mm-mm. you know. And I agree, like the, the portrayal of him and then even with him being a talking head in the first one is too. Did you guys see like the difference in the lighting in like the first one? Like the way that he is lit and when he's talking in the confessional, when he is in that first episode where we're supposed to believe that this kid is a a monster, he's half lit, like face is half dark. He's telling his, his story about his father. And it's just very one liners, very like everything is leading you to believe like this kid really doesn't care about, about anything. And then as the story kind of unravels, um, more light is being shined on him when we get that piece about how he couldn't even really know what his birthday was mm. or his address him being 17 and never we, we finally he's 17 he's never been in a school I think in that second episode is when um, Susan Susan tells us that uh, at the one point that they thought about putting him in school he was so far behind that if they did put him in school he would be 16 in a classroom classroom full of third or fourth graders which is just you know like inappropriate at at that point so he just never went to school he was quote-unquote homeschooled but he was never homeschooled so his learning was very limited susan who's trying to it's like what's your you know what's your address and then bert doesn't want him to learn division yeah like that that's the line like look long division (laughs) sucks but like this is where you're coming into the story 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Anthony does have that wonder that one of the one of an incredible, incredibly insightful thing that he says is it's easier to control a dumb person than a clever person. Yeah, I mean, hello, hello, American politics, hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice the lighting, but I did feel as though as the documentary went on, he was being shot in a way that would make him look younger and sort of draw attention to. Mm like the baby fat and I don't know if you guys found this, but especially in the interview footage, when he's tucking his hair behind his ears, there was a Uh very like river Phoenix in, um, yes, that I can't remember the name of the movie, but I think Um, he and Keanu are hitmen, and I think Tracy Ullman hires them to kill her husband. And then it like just turns into a whole thing. Well, I am DB it and, but he has this very, uh, I mean, as the documentary goes on, you are given more and more, like it's less and less a bad seed portrayal and more and more a mm-hmm. lost boy portrayal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, ex- yes, exactly. He looks like in his mugshot when they're saying like, oh, we didn't see any marks on him or anything. He has like longish hair, like like facial hair very if if you're just looking at the pictures very cool like very too cool for school type mm-hmm. vibe but yeah and then but by the time he's released and he's being told that he's on probation his hair is very short very he he looks very much that like very young very unfortunately uneducated kid who's not still clearly not comfortable in his skin because yeah. Again, as as SDB pointed out, the abuse that Bert put on Anthony may not be physical. You know, we they they never really uncovered physical evidence of abuse. But I mean, the kid was seventeen and basically never went to a doctor. So it's like, yeah, how do we truly know? And and maybe he never broke a bone. Maybe the abuse never got that bad. But bruises heal. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really. It's really unfortunate, but he gets taken away from his mom. His 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 father weaponizes the police and the mom, like SDB said, she there's nothing more she could do because she did everything she's supposed to do. She went to um it was the Houston, it was Texas's family court. She got the sole custody. She did everything to to um uh protect her son and then he found the loophole he went through louisiana family court and got them to issue him custody why didn't they talk you know what i'm saying why again why did the justice system fail us here where yeah it wasn't the how, 70s that is sort of a weird thing like don't aren't your computers talking to each other that's a yeah it's that so was a weird. weird thing. It doesn't make sense. It, if somebody is is trying to file custody for a child, especially if it's for like an out of state request, you're telling me there's no investigation done. You're you're telling me there's there's no other database you can type this in to be like, oh no, this man was denied full custody in in Texas. Yeah, like that that doesn't make sense sense to me. And once Anthony is taken at five. 
by the Louisiana police. And Teresa is just sitting there confused because she's like, I have full custody. What is happening? She could not find them. And then she could not, she didn't have the money or the resources to do it all over again. So, and, and, you know, and plus she's probably, she's going through her own struggles. So I I felt so bad for her here and for, and again, for her mom to just kind of, she, you know, she saw the warrant, she saw the paper. So she let him go with the police officer and, you know, she says it, it affects her and all of that to the, still to this day. But I was just thinking about the well, one thing we haven't mentioned is the surveillance that Bert had the entire yeah. house under surveillance. He had uh, Anthony's phone could ping and tell him whether Anthony had moved or not. It's odd to me, and it was never really talked about, that he, Bert, not only let Anthony go to work, but actually sought out a job for him. Uh, I'm not sure what that was for Bert. That that's never sort of looked at because that's really the start of that is the start of the downfall. Because I don't we, remember that. Do you know where he? I've, he I'm worked at Clegg's, uh, Clegg's Nursery, and in episode oh, one, we okay. get a lot mm-hmm. of information from Eleanor Fennell there. I remember. Great mm-hmm. name for somebody who's working in a nursery, <laughs> um, <laughs> where she talks about he can't high five. Uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. really know his address. He never speaks about yeah. his family. Uh, why Bert would have let that danger in? I suppose you can't be the perfect controlling sociopath. Uh, you might yeah. make some mistakes. I totally forgot because they literally only touched on it right then and there. <laughs> and I like totally well, and then the coworker Ugh. hands it off to um, this forensic genealogy researcher. And then yes. both of those women kind of disappear from the documentary and the um, sort of post-traumatic experts come in. But there's a whole thing that's not even touched on and maybe she just felt like she didn't have time to do it which is that I I think that there is a um, like just the lack of support after after law enforcement contact for survivors of abuse and of coercive control particularly when they're not the quote perfect victim which I think Mm. Anthony's mom was not. And this is alluded to, and the documentary sort of, I think it thinks generously averts its eyes from what I think were apparent addiction issues, but she was still given custody. And then there's no, it's like, that's just sort of a piece of paper and there's no support. There's no like network to make sure that everybody's still safe and that, Mm-hmm. Um, restraining orders are being respected and then things like this happen all the time right. and then she just sort of runs out of money and then they're like you know they just they're just sort of broken down by the situation which is what personalities like Bert count on Dude. but I think there's another sort of sub story here which is the struggles of families who are, you know, in a cycle of trauma with substances, whether it's opioids or like, it doesn't matter, but there's like custody, carceral issues, all of that. And like, does that need to probably be a 150 part series? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt frustrated again by format limitations, not, letting us into that part of it because i think that's important 
too as like an empathy promoting tool for the viewership. So as the documentary goes from painting Anthony with the negative brush to like the more sympathetic brush, we get the opposite with with Bert. So let's talk about Bert. We've touched on a, a lot of what he's done, but let's just go over it. Like you slowly start to realize the cameras everywhere that Sarah said, like cameras on everything we do. This is a portion that I did kind of like we got the original footage from the cameras. And I mean, he had eight cameras. I think they said just outside the house alone, like basically covering every square inch of the property. But then having the apps like like you guys pointed out already of knowing when the car oh, stops yes. like knowing the having all the phone tracking like what are mm-hmm. you tracking for anthony he's in the house because he doesn't yes. like you you know what i'm saying like what are you really tracking here and it was there was so- a moment that that absolutely was daggers through me where susan uh, bert's wife anthony's stepmother says that she would pull her car into the garage with the with the groceries or whatever she she'd shopped for and that he would know how many bags of groceries she had and what was in them. And I have a, a dear friend who unfortunately had in her life been in a coercive control relationship. And I remember her, I suddenly remembered her telling me that if she would buy things, she would throw away all the wrapping and the bags and everything before she got home. Uh, so that she could say that she, in fact, already owned the item if it was noticed. Um, and Jesus. it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, stunned into silence just even thinking back. Uh, she's, she's safe. She's out well out of there. Uh, but that is, it seems like a small thing. It seems almost amusing until you think about what, what it actually means. So when Susan yeah. talked about him knowing how many, bags of groceries she had and I I just immediately thought and what was in them and how much money uh, um, it cost because they talk about him earning a hundred dollars an hour yeah and then he and then he has no money so there's a a very strange right. financial mm-hmm. situation there as well yeah um, certainly James Tennyson Bert's best friend who we talk to is having a huge struggle oh uh, yeah knowing, knowing in front of us at. Yeah. In real time, but he's like, mm. "Oh, that guy was a monster." <laughs> yeah, I have so, some uh, thinking to do. Yes, he was my best friend. Ooh. One of the things I did want to point out about the cameras before we moved on from that was, like, did you when when Susan was talking about the bags and everything? They then give us multiple shots of Bert. Like the moment she parks, he comes out, opens the door for her grabs her hand, escorts her into the house and then from the house into the car, like back and forth. Like, like she can't be from out of his, from under him for 10 seconds. Like even when she's just pulling up, he has to go out there. He has to hold her hand. He has to, when they were out there, there are lots of shots of them just being out around the house and him just always like being on top of her and, and, and like holding her. It, the the first couple shots at the beginning in the first episode oh that's kind of cute by the end <laughs> by the end of the second and third episode it's like like at least me and my husband were like that's a little weird he is always out there <laughs> yeah. you know um and bert bert just like 
the revelations of him just keep coming. And it's just like, how can you not sympathize with Anthony? You know, once Susan leaves and, and, and Susan leaves, she tries to serve him paperwork. He's ducking the cops. So that's, this is where we get Michael and, and his son trying to get into the house to serve him the paperwork. They try and leave, like they try and go and get her stuff when Bert isn't there. But Bert is telling Anthony to like, you know, keep like close the house down. It's just you could tell that there was escalation. Once Susan left, there is escalation. And I think that they did a pretty good job in the documentary here talking about how when um, in, de- in, de- in domestic violence incidents and in- intimate partner situations, the most dangerous part is the leaving. Like we, yeah. we sh- should all know at this point, that is the most dangerous part of, of ending those type of relationships because they are the one that is the part that is more likely to turn violent. So with Susan leaving and then the the incident with with Anthony happening not just six like six months later, I was not surprised. I I I, I like this because I was like, okay, I am starting to understand how we got to this point, and I'm seeing like, I'm I'm seeing that I I think that Anthony was you you never want to say you're in the right for taking somebody's life, but I can see why he could have felt that this was the the last resort. I mean, um, Peyton, Peyton is interesting here. This is Susan's son uh, that uh, is, uh, he appears to be older than Anthony. Uh, they were sort yeah, of around, perhaps around tell. the same yeah. age. It, mm-hmm. was, it was hard to tell. He is the one that sets the, the sequence of events uh, in motion because he rings his father and says, mm-hmm. please come and get me. I cannot be in this house mm-hmm. any longer. And mm-hmm. I wondered, again, it wasn't expressly said, but I wondered if that was one of the impetuses for Susan to leave was, right. oh, I I felt like if I could just absorb the abuse that the house was okay, that the boys were okay, and that she realised that with Peyton calling his own father and saying, please come and get me, that she had to get out. And it's the same thing. We do hear a story uh, from earlier in uh, Anthony's life when. Teresa, his mother, had to leave the house to get away from Bert, knowing she was leaving Anthony behind and the distress that this caused her. And Marsha Colton, the CEO of uh, AIDS to the Victims of of Domestic Abuse, really so well tells us how children are used as weapons. They are not wanted Mm -hmm. in and of themselves, but the control of uh, often women is by the control of the children, and and this this was horrifying. So it did seem that Peyton's phone call kind of set. So he left the house. So Susan left the house. So Bert became more and more enraged and drank more and more. Um, mm-hmm. And again, another. This is so small, but so stupid. They talked about him drinking a case of beer a day. But the mm-hmm. reenactment has him with a glass of bad liquor. Thank you, God. <laughs> We hate reenactments. Oh, that and the like the literal Jenga tower falling. Yeah. Like, I understand that you're talking about him throwing a Jenga box at your head and the metaphorical, you know, relationship of like Jenga to these situations is not lost on me, but it wouldn't be lost on me if you didn't show the Jenga tower collapsing. Because if you, you if know. you want us if you want us to drop merch saying we hate reenactments, leave us five star reviews <laughs> in the comments. Oh my yes. god! Uh, yeah, coming. 
emerging yes but you know i i I completely completely agree and i think that by the end by that that episode three when they're doing the reenactment again like they do that final reenactment again Mm -hmm. and again from anthony's point of view but now it's in a more like a more sensible light it's it's more like instead of oh he callously killed his father it's it's like oh my god he had no choice i thought that was kind of interesting they kind of bookended it with reenactments of the same moment just trying to say like oh but your eyes are open to the situation now and bert uh sarah touched on this a little bit but like bert having eighty one thousand dollars in debt susan finds out he has eight eighty one thousand dollars in debt he lo- he lost his job i think before she left started drinking and didn't tell her and didn't, didn't tell, tell her. her started drinking excessively starting wearing guns around the house like we've all been in this you know we've 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 uh, consume true crime long enough to know mm-hmm. that these are these are the clear precursors to like a family annihilator. It's like, yeah, I mean, he's one move away from being John List. Like, it, so right. at this point, or I'm like, like, don't go on a hike or in a rowboat <laughs> with this person. I mean, yes. yeah, or submarine. Never. We know this song, and it's not a it's not a major lift at the end. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, exactly. So, so when we get to this point where Anthony is like, he just, he just was acting irrational. We're here with him. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, our, our eyes are now open. We are now like, okay. And then we get the revelation of, you know, the, the ADA being like, you know, he had he had no other choice. He, he never had a childhood. He never had any type of contact, the isolation um, that he endured. Also, let's talk about this. I'm sorry. I'm kind of like vacillating wildly, but Anthony, uh, who was it? Which talking head said that Anthony displayed like every major sign of a domestic abuse? That was um, Dr. Catherine Lawling, who's a forensic psychologist, who's the one who who really gives the DA uh, and the ADA the material they need to drop the charge to negligent homicide and to uh, give him probation. I mean, he, he had no he had no ability to leave. So yes, you would say, okay, exactly. so you you hate your dad, leave. This is a child who had no ability to leave. He did not know his address, no education, and the and the whole you know one of the main hangups or the main catch of all of the gotchas of all of the trailer, like he had no emotion. I'm like looking at that boy and hearing everything that you hear. He had no emotion because it was, you know, from what we understand, it was beat out of him or, you know, and and it's this level of kind of like misogyny that's taken up to 20 because you have the domestic abuse aspect of it. But it's like boys and men not being able to show emotion, but to the to the even more extreme that Anthony stopped showing emotion. We get that in like that second episode. Uh, he stopped because anything he did, his father would constantly berate him about it. So showing right. any type of emotion, being any, he, he, he made himself invisible just so he would not yeah. ear the wrath of his father. And then it's kind of interesting that they didn't use that and the beginning to kind of like paint this is this the picture of a remorseless killer when it's no it's it's the product of of extreme abuse um, extreme emotional abuse yeah this is just someone in shutdown mode for Mm self-preservation the fact that some 
sort of like lizard brain primordial sense told him at least this is a critical point and I am in mortal danger and I will take steps to defend myself that he at least had that sort of core of self-worth to protect himself. I mean, again, like you said, I'm not going to celebrate someone's life ending, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the other options were. And it does give you some measure of hope for him that he can sort of work through this and learn to attach to people, learn to trust people, live in community and have the life that he always deserved and didn't get because law enforcement didn't speak to each other. And his father was a monstrous dickhead. Agreed. Monstrous. Okay. Uh, Any final thoughts, anything else we want to get off our chest before we move on? Sarah, let's start with you. Oh, trembling, trembling chins always get me. Uh, there is uh, oh. the, the the incredible moment where Sky asks Anthony, you know, what do you want? He says he wants a normal life. And she says, what does normal look like? And he's almost, he almost seems to be wondering, why is my face shaking? He touches <laughs> his chin a few times. He does that, that, that classic chin tremble precursor to tears. And it's it's unbelievably affecting, and this is where we see how wonderful she is because she didn't manipulate him into it. I didn't feel manipulated and I didn't feel he was. Mm-hmm. He is having this thought about what's normal and we just watch him for quite a long time having a thought, trying to even bring to mind what normal is and almost wondering at his own physiological response. So. That's the power of this director, and this is why I will always uh, say that I like her work while perhaps critiquing it. SDB, anything from you? Um, I do recommend this. I don't think it's unworthwhile. I just, having watched everything this director has done, I'm looking forward to this uh, upcoming series about her story. This is a very smart gifted person at eliciting the central figures stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she has more to offer us construction wise than Netflix allows. But if Netflix is throwing money at her, I hope she has a nice big catcher's mat. I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have my frustrations with this, but I have my frustrations with this yeah. genre. Anyway. It's not necessarily to do with this. And this does have moments in it that make you. When a property is not perfect in this particular way, and it makes you think about all the parts of the story that you wanted more of, then that's worthwhile itself. Yeah. I just would like to say, like, uh, we didn't really talk about him, but uh, Jared Ambo, AJ's attorney, was a really good, he was a really good talking head, but he's also like one of those people that's like, do we know how he um, ended up being Anthony's attorney? Did I miss that part? Because I'm, I'm glad he was, you know what I'm saying? Because a kid who may not have any resources getting just maybe a regular a public defender may have ended up in behind bars 
for life. You know what I'm uh, saying? It's my understanding that he he offered his services pro bono. Gotcha. I might be making up in my head that he saw the case on the news, but uh, uh-huh. he's a, yeah, he's a documentary in himself as well. Oh wow, yeah. He, mm. he you're just glad that somebody that, like you feel like you're you're glad that somebody like dug a little deeper, you know. And didn't just because this could have really been an open and shut case if the police really didn't care, <laughs> you know, but. um Well, and you have that uh, local reporter saying, like, you're probably familiar with Louisiana criminal justice. The outcomes mm-hmm. usually not great. <laughs> right. So this is I mean, this is sort of a, a unicorn in in that context, too. So, exactly. yeah. yeah, I think this is worth watching, even if you sort of are left wanting more in certain ways it's you know this is where we are with true crime content right now so you just try to you know grade on a curve for that stuff so on that note let's let's swerve right into it then uh sdb how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate i just killed my dad out of a possible five out of a possible five, can I can I give half glasses or is that yeah. we've been the giving half of, glasses? Okay, um, yeah, then I will go with. <laughs> hmm, actually, you know what? I don't need a half. I'm going to go three out of five. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sarah, how many magnifying glasses will you give this episode? Oh, I, I'm the same. I'm going to give it a three. I think it's very well made. I like this director very much. I definitely, it's a story worth telling. Uh, our frustrations are perhaps with the restrictions that were put on her by Netflix, we assume, uh, mm. which we have talked about for the last hour. So a solid three mm-hmm. for me. What about you, Mari? Yeah, I came in thinking I was going to give it a 3.5, and I think I'm just going to stick with that, um, mostly because, I mean, all of the good things he said, it was very well made. It really caught my interest. I I thought the story was important, and, you know, the half, the point and a half off is just like some of the things I think we really should have harped on didn't get as much time as opposed to kind of the 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 bait and switch setup. So, mm, uh, yeah. but still a really good property that I would definitely suggest people um, watch. I think people, I think a lot of our listeners would like this. Will like this, this property for and sure. And it's not, I mean, like we said, it's basically feature length. So yeah. Mm-hmm. At least it's it, not a big, you know, a big commitment. So exactly. The, even though it was three episodes and of course the fun docuseries. Um, <laughs> no, um, it was, it was short enough. Like, like the episodes were like between 30 and 40 minutes each, each one of them. So, or, or, or a little bit more than that. So it was actually very, very digestible. So nothing I, I can really complain about uh, there. SDB, uh, you have any recommendations for our listeners? I do. Uh, I'm not sure how listeners can avail themselves of this recommendation unless, <clears> like me, they are a million years old and still have a DVD component of their Netflix <laughs> subscription. <laughs> I am my own grandma, AMA. Um, but recently, Netflix DVD sent me the original 1976 Helter Skelter, which it felt like I must have seen it because we've all seen so many clips of it over the years in other properties. Uh, But I sat and watched it. It's three hours long. Um, It moves right along. There are parts of it in the back third of it that are like a bit slow. Like it's very faithful to the book. And some of the trial stuff is sort of like, because you know how it turns out, it can be a little bit plodding. 
Um, so if you have a DVD or Blu-ray player that can bump you up to like one and a quarter speed, that's what I'd recommend for that. But there are some moments and some performances in it that are worthwhile. And Steve Railsback as Charles Manson is the sort of famous original portrayal of this crazy person for a reason. Uh, I think he does an excellent job. And uh, I, f- I found out while I was writing this up for best evidence that he went on to play Ed Gein as well. Like, Whoa. I mean, talk about having a lane. I don't know if you want that lane, but anyway, <laughs> he it, it's surprisingly good. I've really been getting into it older, like 70s and 80s true crime from TV and been pleasantly surprised at how efficient and like occasionally insightful it can be when you're kind of expecting like sanitized garbaggio so Mm -hmm. the original helter skelter you can find some clips of it on youtube if you want to look at those and not uh treat with the whole thing but if you are also uh 78 years old in your heart and still have a dvd subscription to netflix uh or red box or you know blockbuster i don't i don't know what still exists but if that shows up in your mailbox it's worth a look actually just for for context and perspective and uh yeah like i said i did write that up for best evidence and that site is at bestevidence.fyi uh sarah what about you do you have any uh recommendations Yes, I do. Uh, I have one from our faithful listener, Mary, uh, who has recommended the podcast Conning the Con. Uh, this comes from Ooh. Sarah and Emma Ferris and Evergreen Productions. Uh, they listed as this, it was a relationship that was going just the way Andrew Tompkin planned right up to the moment when Emma discovered his real identity. That seems like a very flat description. I listened to the first episode and I was hooked. So Sarah and Emma are sisters uh, and Emma had a relationship with a what she found out to be a con man. By the time she found out he was a con man, she was $300,000 in the hole to him. And so she remained in the relationship in order to try and recoup uh, the money. I haven't got oh. up to that bit yet. I've just got Damn, to Damn, this up. sounds good. It's mm. very good. And it's very nice to have different voices in your ears. Sarah and Emma are New Zealanders. And this is a uh, wonderful, so far, recommended by Mary, who has great taste, and recommended by me on the uh, strength of the first episode. I'll put that in the show notes as well. I would like to recommend Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. It's another one of those, the Netflix, like, it's part of the Netflix Untold series, where Untold, it, it it's so good because it kind of is akin to, like, a bad sport. It kind of tells you, like, uh, short documentaries on, like, sports-based not crime, but just sports-based stories. And Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist is about Manti Teo and how him effectively being catfished basically tanked his career in the NFL. It has um, It's one of those series that I, I was so glad I got to watch. And it's it's so interesting. It's, it's, it, I said series, but it's a show. It, it's just so interesting because like Manti Teo, the Manti Teo story, I remember it happening as a big football. I'm a 
huge football fan. And I remember just watching him go from like a top 10 prospect uh, being drafted to like basing it basically a laughing stock because he got catfish, like something that happens to millions of people every day. And it literally hurt his career prospects. So very interesting. Go watch that uh, untold the girlfriend who didn't exist. At Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's uh, Crime S E E N R H A P. Or you can email us um, by sending emails to Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. SDB, what do you have going on and where can, where can the people find you? Um, well, I'm sure people are sick of hearing about it by now, but too bad. One more <laughs> plug for bestevidence.fyi, which I write with Eve Beatty. And you can find us on Twitter at bestevidencefyi as well. I run an all true crime bookshop. It's mostly secondhand, but there is some new stuff. Uh, that is Exhibit B Books. That's on Twitter at Exhibit B Books. And you crime scene listeners have your own special discount code if you're looking for some true crime to read and you want to take 15% off, use code XCS15 at checkout. That's XCS15. And I will send our hosts a link that you can just click on. The card will do it automatically. Love it. Uh, where can the people find you, Sarah? They can find me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. Uh, and I will not be shy about telling you everything that I'm doing there. And what about you, Mary? Where can people find you and what's going on? What's going on with you? Same. You can find <laughs> me. You can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. I'm currently um, hopping on uh, recaps and um, updates for Big Brother 24. So if you're, you want to follow along when I'm going to be um, guesting on any of the Big Brother podcasts that the RJP Network does, you can go to my Twitter and I will let you know. We have a brand new Instagram. Go follow us on Instagram at Crime Scene Podcast. That's Crime S-E in podcast um, because every week we will be posting all of our pictures in association to the uh, documentaries uh, we're, we'll be covering. So that's a great uh, extra resource just so you can see what we're kind of talking about. So please go follow us on Instagram at Crime Scene Podcast. Sarah, what do we have coming up for next week? Uh, next time on Crime Scene, we have Trainwreck, which was originally called Cluster from <laughs> Change the name. Trainwreck Woodstock 99 with guest Chappelle. You can watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions. And just to note, to say before you watch, there is uncensored footage of sexual assault in the documentary, uh, which of course can be very shocking if you come across it without warning. If that's too much for you, then skip the documentary. Uh, and just listen to us talking about it, or you may wish to skip us talking about it as well, which is fine. We will catch you on the next one. Thanks to Sarah Dean Bunting for joining us. Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and of course, Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. 